South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. I'm John Tanz in Washington working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Tuesday, November 29, 2022. South Sudan's vice president says the plans to move the capital city of the country to Lake State is at an advanced stage. We are very serious about Ramshel. Ramshel is a national project. It cannot fail. We have to continue with it. And an Israeli non-profit has helped four South Sudanese children with heart diseases to get free surgeries in Israel. We're doing a very special initiative um, and a partnership with a different Israeli organization called Save a Child's Heart, uh, which is a medical-based organization back in Israel um, that works with children who have um, different heart conditions. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The government of South Sudan says it is embarking on its efforts to relocate the capital city to Ramshell. Taban Dengai, South Sudan's vice president in charge of the infrastructure cluster, says the government is serious about the project, which could be completed in two years. However, an economic analyst says... The Ramshell project shouldn't be the priority and says the country first needs peace and stability. For VOA News, Dengai Deng reports from Juba. The South Sudan government and the Kingdom of Morocco signed an agreement in 2017 to construct a new national capital in the Lake State's community of Ramchel. In what was a wildlife park, officials said the move to a more central area would make the seat of the government more accessible to the people. Morocco agreed to fund the technical and financial needs of construction, starting with feasibility studies costing about 5 million U.S. dollars. Under the deal, South Korean companies are to do the construction. Vice President Taban Dengai, who heads the government's infrastructure cluster, said the government should embark on the project to relocate the capital to Ramchel, which could happen within two years. We are very serious about Ramchel. Ramchel is a national project. It cannot fail. We have to continue with it. The law for Ramchel is still in the Minister of Justice. And we have uh, our learned uh, uh, lawyer, uh, Gurbandi, who helped us drafting that law. Uh, because we are very careful, we don't want uh, people also to encroach into Ramshell. We have registered about uh, 1,500 population of Ramshell, uh, Governor The people of Ramshell up to today was asked, they are only 1,500. The people that are going to... That we shall compensate when we implement Ramshell. Those are the people who got there. Like, for example, you know, the Ramshell is including a, including a canal to come from where and then Moya uh, Magic Cave. It's a very complicated city. But I agree with you in two years. This is what I say. He made the comments at the governor's forum on Monday. Guy also said the government was cautious about the plans after learning that a group of people wanted to encroach on the Ramchel land because of the plan to chip the capital. Vice President Guy says the construction of Ramchel as a smart city will cost as much as 20 billion US dollars, but said the cost is necessary. He says the master plan is finished and a model sample of the city has been built in South Korea, waiting shipment to South Sudan. Where will the government get this money? By the way, it's very simple for government to get this money. There are investors 
they are ready to put their money. Because they know if you put 20 billion in developing a land, then that land is going to get them trillion from the sale of land. Just the, the implementation of master plan, meaning what? Meaning that you will have a city with roads, thermal roads, three system, electricity connection, uh, everything is ready. You are just coming to build your house or your office. Dr. Abraham Maliet, a senior economic advisor to South Sudan's economic cluster, says while relocating national capital from Juba to Ramchel is important, it is not necessary to put money into it now. He says it is not a time-bound project and can be done anytime in the near or far future. Our mission is to make sure that this peace is sustained. Number two, we also go through the, the, the interim period, so it finishes, we do elections, then the legitimate government comes on board, and then that, that project now can be retabled. Maliad says implementing the peace agreement, stabilizing the country's situation and the economy by paying civil servants on time and finishing projects to connect the country with roads should be the government's priorities. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Juba. Sudanese officials say cases of gender-based violence have increased significantly over the past year around the country, including in conflict-affected areas of Blue Nile, Khordofan, and Darfur. Suleiman al-Khalifa, who heads the Office for Combating Violence Against Women at Sudan's Ministry of Social Development, says lack of accountability hampers efforts to document attacks against women. As part of the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence, a Sudanese government official says her office has informally documented dozens of incidents of violence against women and children over the past year. Speaking to South Sudan in focus in Khartoum, Suleyma al-Khalifa says most of the cases were reported by community leaders and some women's groups during the recent conflicts in Blue Nile, Kordofan and Darfur. She says the lack of proper government structure since last year's coup has hurt efforts to properly document incidents. Khalifa says she could not give an exact figure, but says cases have increased significantly. Well, we know there's cases, and we know it's true. It's, they don't need verification, but actually we cannot say that now because, you see, when things are not documented and things are not well, they were not well informed and communicated, we cannot say numbers, but we actually we are aware there cases, uh, different cases of this. Speaking during his visit to Sudan earlier this month, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said his office has verified 19 incidents of sexual and gender-based violence. He said most attackers were police officers as they cracked down on protesters. There may be more, he said, but victims often do not come forward due to deep social stigma, lack of faith in the justice system, and fear of reprisals. Al-Khalifa says when people lose confidence in the justice system in the country, they often turn away and prefer not to report. There's no accountability for the whole state. I cannot report this to somebody and try to get some kind of action making action done and we are working in this very much difficult uh, situation 
Hala Al-Karib heads Sudan's Office for Strategic Initiative for Women in the Horn of Africa, or SIHA. She expressed deep concern over what she termed as growing crisis against women in Sudan. Speaking to this program in Khartoum, Al-Karib says her office has documented over 20 cases of rape and other sexual violence against women in both Blue Nile and Lagawa area of West Kordofani State in recent months. She says thousands of the displaced women live in camps where they are exposed to gender-based violence. The level of tension is very, very high, you know, uh, and the situation when it comes to sexual violence, the attacks against women farmers and women who are trying, you know, um, to harvest. And, and so it's extremely, extremely difficult at this point. So it's a, it's a growing crisis, you know, if you add to that the situation in Darfur and what's happening there. Al-Karib attributed the increase in gender-based violence to lack of rule of law and growing communal conflicts in the country. She called on the authorities and the international community to join to protect Sudanese women. This is not um, um, a security process alone. This is um, a very, it should be an extremely comprehensive process that incorporates a lot of issues, including issues of access to justice, including issues of governance and control of civilians of, of, of their own governments at the local level. Intercommunal conflicts have been rampant in Blue Nile, Kordofan, Darfur and Eastern Sudan since the Sudanese military leader Abdul Fattah al-Burhan is stage a coup in October last year. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. Four South Sudanese children are traveling to Israel for life-saving heart surgeries. The operations are being sponsored by an Israeli-based non-governmental organization, Israel Aid, in collaboration with Save a Child's Heart. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai reports from Juba. The four South Sudanese children going to Israel were diagnosed with congenital heart condition by Israeli pediatric cardiologists who visited the country in 2019. Tamar Koski Lazarus, the chief development and communication officer for the Israeli organization Israel, visited Juba this week. We're doing a very special initiative um, and a partnership with a different Israeli organization called Save a Child's Heart, uh, which is a medical-based organization back in Israel um, that works with children who have um, different heart conditions, and they basically provide surgery and the pre-care and aftercare treatment. Israel Aid responds to humanitarian emergencies around the world. It is working with the Israeli organization Save a Child's Heart to arrange the surgeries for the South Sudanese children. Lazarus say the surgeries were delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. She says five children were supposed to have surgeries, but one child's condition became severe and the child was flown to India for treatment. We will be flying um, four children uh, aged five to eight um, and their caregivers uh, to Israel, um, which is a very big deal. Um, and we will be providing, uh, essentially helping them get, get to Israel. And then Save a Child's Heart in Israel will be working with them to provide the treatment, the medical treatment that they need. In South Sudan, Israel Aid focuses on child protection and issues of gender-based violence in the country. Alex Musili, the country director for Israel Aid in South Sudan says, this year, the group received new funds for 
or water sanitation and hygiene projects in the country. Because of the field need of the community, uh, the community have, have a field need of water and sanitation and Israel is uh, planning now to venture into um, to water and sanitation and especially hygiene promotions. Each of the four children will be accompanied by a guardian who will stay with them during the treatment in Israel. The group says it will take care of all the guardians during their stay in Israel. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shiapai in Juba. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, UNAID says it wants to increase availability, quality and suitability of services for HIV treatment. Find out how after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... What improvements have you seen in your community over the past year? I'm seeing infrastructures and services like water, electricity, at least now, alhamdulillah. Because like in two years back, we are getting water from the well. And now we have tap water. Not so much in my community where I come from. Not so much. But I only see people are venturing into business. People are learning business skills every time. People those days didn't take their children to school. But nowadays, you can see that all people are willing to take their children to school. And also there's some development of the road constructions. There are also buildings around our places. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Linor Modou. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. This year's World AIDS Day theme is Equalize, a call to take quick action to address global inequalities and end the rise in HIV infections and AIDS-related deaths. UNAIDS, the United Nations HIV AIDS body, says inequalities that perpetuate the AIDS pandemic can be tackled. As James Shimanyola reports from Nairobi, UNAIDS has set a goal of reducing the number of HIV infections by 90% by 2030. 
ahead of World AIDS Day, UNAIDS, the United Nations HIV AIDS body, wants the availability, quality, and suitability of services for HIV treatment to be increased and more preventive measures taken. UNAIDS data shows that four decades into the HIV response, inequalities still persist for the most basic services such as testing, treatment, and condom use, and even more so for new technologies. The greatest inequalities are in the developing nations with growing populations. With eight years remaining before the 2030 goal of ending AIDS as a global health threat, UNAIDS says economic, social, cultural, and legal inequalities must be addressed urgently. UNAIDS says young women in Africa remain disproportionately affected by HIV while dedicated programs for them remain too low. East Africa is one of the regions with rising infection rates. One of the countries in the region is Africa's newest nation, South Sudan, where Dr. Kandiyang Modi of the country's Ministry of Health pushed for better testing and treatment for HIV AIDS. The earlier we begin the treatment, the better the outcome, meaning these persons who are put on treatment early will not reach the stage of AIDS unless they stop taking the medication. Modi dismissed the misconception in some countries in Africa that HIV AIDS is not real. HIV is real. You may be the next person infected if you don't prevent it. So let us take the lead in preventing it. Let us know our status so that we can be able to eradicate HIV by 2030. Dr. Achel Ayom, Deputy Chairperson of HIV AIDS Commission in South Sudan, says a rising number of infections there is not because people don't know about AIDS. These young kids know about HIV. They use condom. Young boys, they know how to use condom. Women, they don't go and test because they are afraid to be divorced or be killed by a husband. The World Health Organization says globally more than 38 million people are living with HIV AIDS. Nearly 26 million of them are in Africa. For VOA Africa News, I'm James Shimanyula in Nairobi, Kenya. Africa champions, Senegal will play its next decisive match at the Qatar FIFA World Cup today. A win will guarantee the Lions of Terenga a spot in the round of 16. Cameroon and Ghana entertained the world with their performances yesterday. The indomitable Lions of Cameroon came from 3-1 down to draw 3-3 with Sabia, while the Black Stars of Ghana beat South Korea 3-2. Daybreak Africa host James Batty spoke with viewers Jackson Vungani from the Ghanaian capital, Accra. James, it was a great day of joy here in Accra, Ghana. Lots of celebrations. I have never been part of this kind of energy before. So much tension and jubilations at the same time as the Ghanaians watched their team putting on a great performance against a, a formidable opponent in South Korea. You know, jubilations everywhere, the sounds of drums, live music, 
cars honking on the streets. Ghanaians are really happy that their boys were able to pull off this win. Remember, James, the Black Stars needed this for them to keep their hopes alive in this tournament, and they needed to beat South Korea for them to advance past the group stages. And thanks to their young star, Mohamed Kudus, they did it and did it decisively. Do you think, Jackson, that the coach made some changes because he was criticized after that first game? Absolutely, James. I think one of the main reasons why they were able to pull off this win is that they made some tactical changes. And this is a credit to Coach Otto Addo. Uh, he changed his game by pushing more of the offensive bringing in different guys from his roster, expansive roster of mainly young guys to bolster his defensive formation, what they call in soccer parlance as the 4-3-3 system where there are more attacks. And guess what? The South Koreans felt the attacks, James. So, James, during the game, I was watching the game outside of the Ghana Broadcasting Center where they had like hundreds of people part of, you know, fans from around the country, uh, including some female teams uh, that play in the local leagues here, some fan groups. And I spoke to some of them about what they thought was the difference maker in this game today. This is what they said. Ghanaians were very determined to win this game. They went all out. Their person was and they, they weren't even there. exciting match was that of Cameroon. Yes, oh my goodness. James, we know at some point, we know when we're watching Cameroon, people lost hope. But you know, there's a reason why these guys are called the indomitable lions, okay? Do not count them out until the final whistle and they showed why. Let's look ahead, Jackson. Let's look ahead to today, Tuesday. Senegal, yeah. the Lions of Taringa are taking the fields against Ecuador. What can you tell us? James, both of these teams are really strong and they're, they're coming in with a lot of pressure because remember, these are some of the most decisive games in their group stages. They need these wins. But the Lions of Teranga have shown that they have what it takes to beat even some of the best teams. So I would not really count them out. And, you know, again, Ecuador comes again with the hunger and the anger at the same time. They want to win, but I think I will give this one to the Lions of Teranga. Thank you very much, Jackson. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. That's VOA's Jackson Vongani speaking with James Batty from Accra. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. Describe a perfect day. A perfect day is when I wake up in the morning without any challenges. I have my family around me. I go to work, come back without any mishaps or difficulties or any hangovers. 
The perfect day for me would be a day without any stress, without traffic, without any sickness, without any pertinent need. That would be a perfect day for me. My perfect day when I get off and then I come out, I do all my assignment in the office or in the other aspect of my curriculum activities. Maybe watch a movie so I could fall asleep. Just watch something for laughs, a comedy. And that's just my typical perfect day. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. During this pandemic, the World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say if you have a fever, a cough, or have trouble breathing, you should stay at home and contact a healthcare facility. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest health news. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. That's all we prepared for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Junubia by Mawa. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Yeah.
Yeah. 